He kissed Christianity goodbye. We're going to get into it this week on Dropping Sunday. (laughs) Hey, hey, welcome to Dropping Sunday. I'm one of your hosts, Seth. And I am your other host, Andrea. Um, In case this is your first time around here, Dropping Sunday is a semi-reverent look at Christian pop culture. Just a couple of notes. We are not here to get you saved, and we're also not here to tick you off. But we would like to know if either of those things happen. Yes, this is a podcast by Christians for Christians, but you definitely don't need to believe to belong. Andrea, how's your heart? My heart's great, Seth. Yeah, I, 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 I bet I know why. Why? Well, I mean... We've got a special we guest today. We do have a special guest today in the st- studio. Studio? Yeah. We, last time we were recorded in an in actual a studio. studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tonight we're not in a studio, but it's all right. It's it's a it's a private room, but we do have a guest with us today. So, it was several months ago I had approached Seth and I said I have an idea for a show. It's very different from our usual kind of stuff. Exvangelicals. And so I had been reading about several different kind of well-known Christians, uh, definitely well-known in Christian circles, that had decided that they were um, not going to be Christians anymore. <laughs> yeah, they, they were denouncing the faith, <laughs> denouncing walking the away. Yeah. Um, someone else said it, uh, a deconstruction of their faith. And uh-huh. so I said, let's talk about it. And I have a, the perfect guest to have on the show to talk about it. And I said, what do you think? And he was... You were all for it. Yeah. So well, then coronavirus happened. Yeah. So the Rona changed everything. For sure. <laughs> Here we are finally a few months later, several months later. So uh, tonight we have or today, whenever you're listening to this, yeah. <laughs> we have my dad in the studio. I mean, he's in the pantheon of the show. People have heard his name. But yeah, now we- you actually get to meet him. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, it's <laughs> Pastor Al. <laughs> get a standing ovation and everything dad yeah just so you know um well you can say hi oh hello everybody <laughs> it's a it's a pleasure to be here I've, I've been hearing a little bit about what andrea and seth have been up to and uh i wondered when i was going to get an invitation <laughs> <laughs> well it was i did talk to, it would talk to you about it probably in maybe december or january it, like it's that. been a long time and we had we had planned on it and talked about it and just finally finally got it to happen. Um, just so you know, on the show, mom is Andrea's mom. We never say her name. I don't know why. Okay, yeah, Beth started that. It's, it's Andrea's just, mom. Andrea's yeah. mom. Yeah, um, really nice lady. <laughs> she is. <laughs> you you are pretty fond of her. Yeah. Yeah. You've quite. been. You've been <laughs> You've you guys have been married uh, fifty one years. So it'll be fifty two in October. October of this year. October of this year. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and then you are just Pastor Al or Brother Al or something or yeah. Dad. If I'm talking about you, so usually when we're talking about Mom, it's uh, we're apologizing to her because Seth has said something a little off color, oh. and so. <laughs> I'm hey just, guys, uh, that's the sound of the bus backing up and running over. <laughs> I'm just me gonna throw them under there. Again. So, anyway, uh, that's and that's just kind of what we do around here. So, this show, and I'll just say for the listeners, you know, the last few episodes we we did the show with uh, last several, and we we've had all kinds. We've we've run the gamut as far as types of shows that we have, and yeah, we try to keep it funny and lighthearted. We did have a conversation with Gerard and Jovan about, you know, racism and social justice and the church and their role. And when I was thinking about this topic, I just said, you know, I bet there are a lot of people who are Christians and maybe have been Christians for a long time. And they've run into either people who are atheists and have always been, or they're, they've run into people who used to be Christians and have decided that Christianity is not for them, and maybe they just need a little bit of help dismantling some of their thoughts or maybe responding to some of their questions. Yeah. And that's kind of where this episode came from. Yeah. So. I mean, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, just as as my testimony, I, I got saved when I was five, baptized when I was six, baptized in the Holy Ghost at seven, <laughs> I went to a Christian college, 
you know, got out, got in the ministry, uh, realized real quick that whenever a church pays you, they also get to tell you what to do. <laughs> it's, what the, it's called a job. <laughs> right. And so, uh, yeah. That's, a, that's incredible, Seth. I was saved at five. Okay. Baptized in water at seven. Baptized in the Holy Spirit at seven. Yeah. <laughs> right down the line. Right down the Listen, line. I hope I have the same kind of legacy that, that you have for <laughs> sure. Oh but it didn't, you know, it probably wasn't until I was in my late 20s, maybe even early 30s when I started going, okay, wait a minute, what? 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 How, what? How do I respond to this question? And, you know, in high school, I had a couple of friends that were uh, that were atheist. I had a friend that was a Wiccan witch, had a friend that was Orthodox Jewish. And we had all of these these types of things. And so what we would do is we would actually sit around and have these debates and then we would switch places. And then I'd have to argue the atheist point of view and someone else had to argue the Christian point of view. And it was it was a lot of fun and, and it helped solidify yes. a lot of things to help me get through some of those challenging times, but it didn't change the fact that I still had to kind of deconstruct what I thought that I knew to make sure that I was making room for what God may be wanting to, to teach me and tell me at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was born into a Christian home. Uh, my dad became a pastor when I was uh, four, right at the end of my fourth year, five. And uh, that's really all I knew from the age of, Five to, uh, I guess, till I was a senior in college, because all of that time, I was I was publicly very straight arrow. I mean, I was straight arrow in public, because I knew the tendency that people had in the church to talk to the pastor about his kids, right? And I tried to avoid that, yeah. and uh, <laughs> so I was reasonably intelligent. So I was did did a pretty good job all the way through that period of time. And then, strangely enough, my uh, freshman year in college, uh, freshman, sophomore, junior year, uh, again, I was I was straight arrow, this time both in private and in public. I was straight arrow for three years. It seemed like that even though I'm a, I had a Baptist roommate and a Catholic roommate, uh, we argued theology all the time. Uh, <laughs> and when it started getting a little too rough, we would vow not to talk about it. We might go six months, then we would get into it again. Yeah. But it was fun. Yeah, then we start talking right. about politics, and we do that for a little while. <laughs> now, I, no, I don't think we ever did talk about politics. But uh, but then between my junior and senior year, uh, there was it was a weird summer. That's all I know to say. It was a weird summer. But there were two things that that they're totally off the charts. One was the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock a T.S. Eliot poem, uh, and I bet I read that poem 10 times. And, and there were certain lines and phrases in there that just stuck in my head. So, uh, and, and they they were along the line, <clears throat> pardon me, of uh, existentialism. So I had already been studying the French existentialists, the German existentialists, and of course the melancholy Dane, Soren Kierkegaard, <laughs> the Christian existentialists, uh, in studying those guys, that was that was the first time that my brain had been just so ripped open uh, that it was open to anything. I, and and I, I suppose that's about all I could say because what happened next was reading that poem and then the book of Ecclesiastes. I read Ecclesiastes about 10 or 12 times that summer, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, pure existentialism, yeah. uh, the absurd universe, the absurdity of living. And the first day I was back on campus, I said a cuss word, and I was talking to my, my two roommates. I'm sorry. Hold on. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which, which one? <laughs> nope. No, okay. <laughs> I don't need to know that. So... Uh, so both of my roommates were utterly in shock because yeah. for three years they'd never heard me say never. anything uh, off color mm -hmm. at all. Three years, and and I said it, and uh, then I became the driver to take the guys that drank to all the part, you mm -hmm. know, the places that you went. And uh, about the third or fourth time, I said, "Pour me one," and uh, and it was just a downward spiral, one thing after another after another, and. Uh, but I said when when my roommates turned to me that it was on a Sunday evening when they turned to me uh, because I had said said something not that was totally out of character. I said, "There's no God. 
I'm an atheist. End of story. And that's that was the first time I had had the thought, the first time the words had come out of my mouth. But it was it was a in an absolute sense. I was at that moment. I considered myself nothing but an animal. No, my Baptist roommate would ask me, "Don't you have a conscience?" Uh, no, <laughs> I, I'm I'm an animal. Animals don't have consciences. Don't don't you regret or feel guilty? No, I just you know you hadn't got the point yet, Gene. This is this is for real. So it was a that was my lifestyle for eight months, and it, it took eight months to bring me to the absolute lowest point of my life. And I was just it's over. I'm ready to commit suicide. I had it all planned, and uh, God stopped me. And that's all I can say. He was looking for me. I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. And uh, <clears throat> he's pretty effective at that. <laughs> he, yeah. He's pretty good at that, yeah. He just stepped in, and, and I found myself arguing with the God I didn't believe in. And what's strange is he was arguing back. Right. <laughs> right. And guess who wins? Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Every time. If you if you argue with him, if you start that conversation, he's gonna win it. You know what you I found though is that he's not nervous about an argument. He's not. No, he's not. <laughs> well, he's uh, all right. That's cool. Um, what when it finally hit me that smarter people than me had asked tougher questions than I had, and I was like, all right, he's not he's not afraid of my questions. Yeah, he, he he'll be all right. I don't think there's a single thing we could ask him that would stump him or make him nervous. No, uh, you know, I was not so much asking questions yet. I was making some declarations. Uh, I I was saying, God, if you're real, if you're there, prove yourself to me. I've got to have some proof. And cosmic silence, nothing. And so I got a little more desperate, you know, and I I said, surely I'm worth something, you know. And I think I then heard something, a cosmic chuckle. (laughs) (laughs) And and literally, the first question was actually from God to me, and he said, who do you think you are? Why can't I say that without losing it? Who do you think you are that I have to prove myself to you? Mm. And, And it changed my perspective forever, just that one simple question from God. And uh, that, and uh, remembering one verse in particular, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and, I love that and in there, and that he responds to, he will, he will answer. I like the way Francis mm-hmm. Schaeffer says, he is there and he will answer, he <laughs> He speaks, and uh, and he he responds to those who diligently seek him, and and so I'm thinking that through, and I happened to be sitting in a car across the street from uh, Oak Lawn Assembly of God Church in Houston, Texas, and I just jumped out of the car. I ran across the street to the front door, right down the aisle. I had no clue what was going on. I honestly don't know. I just knew because it was Assembly of God Church and my dad was Assembly of God pastor, I knew there was an altar somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I headed for that. And uh and that night uh I, I it just it just started a whole new lifestyle. But I I made God a promise. I said I'll live for you every day for the rest of my life. And uh, that was 55 years ago this past April. Wow. And so every day, consciously, not perfectly, but consciously and deliberately, I have striven to live for God, yeah. to please Him as much as I can. That's awesome. I've I've heard that story a few times, and it gets me every time. <laughs> every time, still, yeah. Every time it gets that, me. That was the first time I've ever heard it. So <laughs> I, that, it got me that time for sure. <laughs> well, so the reason, and so I'm just I'm just going to dive in. So we've got your background. So one reason that you're uniquely qualified to respond to some of these questions and statements is because you you went there. You were an atheist for eight months or however long exact you know exactly it was. Um, but beyond that, what a lot of people don't maybe don't know or haven't thought about or realized is that you you study like just about no one else that I know. You you read everything that you can get your hands on. You're not afraid 
to read anything as far as science, physics, philosophy, religion, anything, because you've got a foundation that is not going to be shaken because you know you can take anything to God. He's There's nothing that's going to shake him, so you're not afraid. Right. Is that, I mean, is, could I, is that a... That's a good assessment, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, I've, I've, I'm, this is my dad, so I've known him for my entire life. I have watched him study. I've watched him read everything he can get his, get his hands on. So I am just reiterating that that is, that is the case. So the first person that I read about um, that had fallen away is an author named Joshua Harris. Are you familiar with him? Have you heard the name? So he wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye a long yeah, time did. ago. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I've heard that. You've I've, heard of that yeah, book. Yeah, that book. It's one I've never read because I can't imagine that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you didn't miss much. Um, I don't think I read it either, uh, but certainly because it came out when we were in our teens, right? So oh, probably oh, yeah. yeah. Right at that dating age. And, and I went to... Bible school, so I can tell you most of the people on campus at Brownsville had read I Kissed Dating Goodbye and uh, lived by that. They believed in courtship and oh, yeah. all of that. So um, it was a few years ago that, that Joshua Harris came out and basically uh, denounced his book. He apologized for it. He said it was uh, problematic and that he <laughs> is that right? I mean, <laughs> he he said that uh, he. This is a quote from him, saying that he's lived. He has lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of his self righteousness, uh, his fear based approach to life, and the teaching of his books, his views of women in the church, and his approach to parenting, to name a few. So he came out and said first of all that he was he and his wife were getting divorced which is for a, a christian community or for a christian who has followed him and read his books that was pretty a pretty big deal and then it was shortly after that that he said one thing i left out in our divorce announcement is that i've also decided i'm not a christian anymore and so he said the popular phrase for this is deconstruction the biblical phrase is falling away he says, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. So he says he regrets standing against marriage equality um, for not affirming uh, you and your place in the church, uh, speaking to the LGBTQ community, um, and for any ways that his writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. So I think that's probably where a lot of his decision to step away from the Christian faith probably comes from. Seth, would you agree? I mean, based off of what he said, I mean, that idea of um, of courtship and and you wrote a second book called Boy Meets Girl, Say Hello to Courtship, you know? And so he kind of rode that train for a little bit. But uh, I, I've briefly told this story on the show. I've kind of mentioned it, but I had I was dating a girl in college and uh, she wanted to break up with me, but we were both Christians. We really didn't, I mean, you know, we weren't, and we we're also children. I mean, we we're, you know, 18, 19 years old. You, you, we don't know what we're doing, you know? <laughs> and uh, And so we weren't like, we really didn't have the the vocabulary to say, hey, this isn't working out, so we should probably end it. In Christian school, it's always God told me to break up. Right. With you. Yeah, yeah. It's always <laughs> don't you love it? Yeah. It's all, and so she uh, she hands me this book, I kissed dating goodbye, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I read it, and I was like, okay, you want to court? You want you want me to court you? I get it. I understand. No, that's not what she was saying at all. And I was like, I absolutely see, and I didn't see that she was like, I'm trying to say we should stop dating. And so from when this came out, I kind of saw like, like Andre was saying that he, he really did just kind of say, Hey, listen, I, I missed the mark. This is, this is wrong. It's unhealthy. And the promises that he makes in the book obviously don't come true because he and his wife now have, have been divorced. And so the problem from my point of view, and I, this might be my role on this show today is just to say, this is where I see that it causes the church pain. Yes. 
as as someone pe- people don't walk away from God, they walk away from the church. In in my point of view, I don't see a lot of people telling God, "Okay, I'm done with you." What I see them doing is they saying, "I'm done with your people because your people if that's your representation here on earth, then I don't want any part of them and I don't want any part of you. And so that's where I see there being kind of some pain here. So I looked for today, his list of what defines a Christian to figure out why he doesn't match that anymore. And I I couldn't find it. I think, I don't know that he's ever specifically articulated it. Um, But if I had to guess, it's probably similar to, Uh, a lot of other people's, you know, you're a Christian because you believe in God. You're a Christian because you go to church. You're a Christian because you believe these things. So let's start with defining what a Christian is. Uh, How about I let an atheist define what a Christian is? All right. (laughs) I was teaching one Wednesday night over at Heartland and, uh, this guy that I'd never seen before walked in, and he sat at the back of the class. Um, if this was a series, I would teach four classes in a row and then start over, and it was like the foundations of Christianity. That's what it was. So he walked in. At the end of the class, he came up right to the podium, and he said, I don't even know really what I'm doing here. I'm an atheist. I said, oh, wonderful, man. Let's talk. And that kind of shocked him, I think, if, so we started talking, but the first thing I asked was, well, what did bring you here? He said, well, there's this, this girl that works. He worked for Barnes & Noble. He said, there's this girl that works at Barnes & Noble, and I immediately knew who it was. She was my teacher's assistant, uh, T.A. She was a preacher's kid. Uh, she had her issues. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved the girl. She was, uh, well, I don't know. There, there are things, pros and cons I could say about her, <laughs> but— uh, but as, he, as with all of us, <laughs> as with all of us, for sure. But he said, the thing that attracted me to her is that she is the absolute picture of what I think a real Christian should look like and act. And that was from an atheist, and and it just it really blew my mind. And, and today, the girl is, is is you talk about committed. She and her husband are missionaries to one of the hardest places 100% muslim mm. and and they don't at all like christian it's mm. it's just an amazing commitment that this young couple has made and and as i think back i, I realize you know every teenage kid it doesn't matter uh, how uh, committed they are there's still going to be issues and and as a as a preacher's kid myself i guess i was a little more sensitive to those <laughs> things but uh but this atheist said, and so I started looking at her differently, and I realized this girl, she really is for real. She lives exactly mm-hmm. what she says, and, and, and it's good. It, it, it's, uh, it, it is attractive to the world. They can look at her and say, if that's Christianity, I would like that. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the kind of thing. It's, it's not so much that I can say doing this or not doing this is what defines you as a Christian. What defines you as a Christian is that you, your life is attractive. Mm-hmm. Your life is saying to people, you know, whatever you have, I'd like some of that. You know, you're, you've got something that's real. And, and so to me, that's what defines a Christian more than anything. And that's part of my existentialism. You know, I, I love Kierkegaard. I love the, the uh, way he expressed things. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't have it exact, but he said, it's one thing to hop around on one foot and prove that God exists. It's another thing to go down on your knees and worship him. And, and you know, hearing that or, or reading that in his journal, uh, it, it just stuck with me for all these years. It's not about what you can prove or not prove. It's a matter of what, who do you worship? You know, where, where's your ultimate commitment? And that was another existentialist. <laughs> he happened to be a Lutheran pastor. And uh, during the Second World War, he was pastoring a church. And on a Sunday morning, the the battle line was close enough you could hear the, the mortars. You could hear the, the gunfire. You'd hear all that stuff. And he had this existential moment, you know, that, that something happened. And he defined faith. It's nothing like I'd ever heard. Faith isn't what you believe. Faith is what you're committed to. 
And he said, true faith is ultimate commitment. And ultimate commitment to anything less than the infinite is idolatry. <laughs> amazing, amazing how that's how. What am I committed to? What, what absolutely makes my heart beat? What, what keeps my, my life, my breath going and with no desire to quit? What is it? And it's the fact that every day, the reality of the infinite creator God is right there. He, I'm in him. He is in me. This is a relationship that has been, lasted for 55 years. And uh, that, that to me is how you define Christianity. Christianity is not some wimpy, uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm talking to the choir here, literally. Quite, yeah, quite literally quite, at this point. Quite literally, yes. So, one again, I'm I, I am wanting to try to be the advocate for the hurt. Okay, and so with Josh Harris, um, it, it really shines a light on uh, a lot of purity culture that that existed in, especially in the time that your daughter and I were growing up. Yeah. Um, and where I, from the conversations that I've had, the the research that I've done, the the people who have deconstructed their faith, the ex-evangelicals that have walked away because of purity culture, it's a big part of that has been, you know, the disproportionate um, pressure that was put on young females versus young males, right? Young males could do bad, but young females were bad, right? Mm. There was this idea of, oh, guys can screw up, but girls, you are screwed up. And there was a very, I mean, there it a lot that there was that pressure that that was kind of felt. Um, what could you say to people who might be s- s- still struggling with a little bit of that post traumatic stress disorder from 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 the pain of um, of purity culture that existed real heavily in the early early nineties, early two thousands? Well, you know, wasn't uh, it, it wasn't just that late in Christianity because. Uh, I grew up with an absolute fear of touching a girl. You know, I mean, I, I had incidents where a, a, a girl was just really throwing herself at me, and I was just like, I panicked, man. I was out of there as fast <laughs> as I could go because, I, you know, I just, uh, it just was not part of, part of what we were about. And, and so uh, I think that the world has been very unfair. The world, I'm talking about, Christian world, the the whole rest of the world has been very unfair to young people in in their their reasoning. Not not the fact that that there should be purity. They should, but but instead of saying you know everybody has to see where do they draw the line, but draw the line. Don't commit fornication. You know, draw the line somewhere. Yeah, and, and so to me that's that was. Just what I, after I got a little older, I drew a line and I was very, very careful never to cross that line until I became an atheist. Right. You know, when I became an atheist, nothing mattered. It didn't matter anymore. When I came back to to the God I never knew, boy, I love that line from Philip Yancey. I, I believe he was the author who wrote a book, Coming Back to the Jesus You Never Knew. And that's exactly the way I regard my uh, experience my my regeneration. I was never truly regenerated. I was just you know I had all kinds of emotional experiences. I had all kinds of stuff. But when I was regenerated, it was like this. I didn't know this Jesus. I didn't know God like this. Totally different spiritual realm that I was walking into. So when I came to that point, then that line that line was back. And I mean, it was back. Never violated. Always, I never felt like it. It was. It was tough. I, I felt like that it was reasonable that you draw a line and that you save something for marriage. My goodness, man. Well, you know, people today they they've been in they've been living together for five years and debating whether to get married or not. Why bother? You know, it's it just adding adding bondage to to what you consider your freedom isn't going to make you a better relationship. And, and I mean it literally that way. And, and so this, that whole scenario out of Hollywood and, and the, the, the lax attitudes. But uh, I think that, that every, everybody has to decide on that. There, there's not some kind of a, 
holy word of exactly what to do and what not to do. Yeah. It's just not there. So if you love God, and can I just throw this out there? Because it's one of my very strongest philosophical, theological truths, and, and people get mad when I say it. But, but it, and I'm not the first one. It was an ancient philosopher, theologian who said it. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and do what you please. And see, everybody thinks that that is a license to do what a sinner wants to do. No, you love God and do what you please, because what you please is to please him. And I've, that's never been bondage to me. I don't understand how people talk about this, walking in this bondage, walking in this this uh, judgment uh, all the time. I just don't understand that. I do what I want to do, for goodness sake. And I love life. Well, I think probably the problem is that you have uh, this message coming across mostly from youth pastors who, <laughs> I mean— who 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 may or yeah. may not have good a good enough grasp, and also, I can say as someone who was a youth pastor as a young man, I felt awkward talking to other young men and young women about sex. Yeah, it was strange. It was weird, and so you get this idea of any type of sexual activity is wrong, and so does that mean holding hands is wrong? Uh, I don't. Well, it's a slippery <laughs> slope, you know. It's like, well, okay, but. Holding hands probably okay. What about kissing? Well, slip, slip, slip. Don't slip again. It's okay. I mean, kissing is probably okay. And we, but the the line, what we know is, uh, is that there is a line. And what we were told is, as as young people, is sex is dirty, nasty, filthy, and wrong. So save it for the one you love. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's like no, I mean, there, there just wasn't a clear delineation of like where is where where is the line and why is the line, and I, that's so it's good to hear the idea of like, you know, let's let's love Jesus, let's put him first, and let's save something for marriage, yeah. and and. You know, just well, you, you know, I was talking to a young minister, and uh, he, you know, he had every opportunity, man. He, he was, uh, he had been elevated uh, way beyond his abilities and everything. <laughs> and so, so we were driving together one day. And that sounds familiar. <laughs> I, I've seen that I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what brought it up, but, but something about sexual relationships. And I said, i got to tell you one thing, man. I, I may be an old guy, but I love it. <laughs> and he, How are you feeling, Andrea? You doing not okay right loving now? this right now. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, well, thanks for sharing that with me. And then it wasn't a few months, and he had an affair outside of his marriage. And I, I was just devastated that, you know, I, had, I was sharing with him I've been with this same woman now fifty two years, but actually because we you know talk about dating, I met her. I first laid eyes on her. She was twelve at the old Northside Assembly of God. I, I met her when she was thirteen. We went out to Dairy Queen to get a coke during the day, not a date. Just uh, when she was fourteen, <laughs> you got to have something to drink. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, 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 so so I mean, you just go right on. And when she was nineteen. I graduated from high school, had a job. I was 25, almost 26. We got married. And, uh, it, it, you know, so here we had seven years before the uh, 52 years of marriage. And I, I just don't really understand why sex has become such a, a uh, major problem, a major issue. A little self-control a little bit of making sure that you don't cross the line and, and, and hold something for marriage so that, that you, you start. And we could actually, the night of our marriage, we sat down in the uh, hotel room, and the first thing we did was thank God because he had brought us together. Thank him for the life that we had had, and we hadn't violated his, his laws, and, and thanked him for where he was taken. I mean, we, we built our, our relationship on a relationship with God first. So I, I think it's that I can say it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a great way to live. Well, and there might be an argument of also just like, well, you're young and you're hormonal and listen, your hormones don't tell you when to stop. Right. And so that's why you do have to make a decision before the hormones get going that, that this is where the line is. And for me, the word was, if 
that, that somebody said, if the, if the word, if ever comes in your mind, then, then that's when to stop. And so there, I was, I was dating this one girl and we'd been dating a long time. And I thought maybe it wouldn't be so bad if, and as soon as I got to, if I was like, well, that's the line. <laughs> yeah. That's the line is when you get to, if that's when you stop. Yeah. So that leads me to Marty Sampson. He was a singer and a songwriter for Hillsong Church and Hillsong Worship Team. He wrote, co-wrote a lot of songs. He was a worship leader there. Um, Certainly as I was, when I was growing up and I was listening to Hillsong a lot, that's where, that is what shaped a lot of my, my worship and my worship ministry. I mean, Seth and I have talked about how Darlene Check is kind of my... Yeah, my fangirl moment. So I was very familiar with with Marty Sampson. This is him singing. It's one of my favorite songs. So he he came out and wrote this long Instagram post. That's what all of these people do is they write these social media posts saying that they're questioning or they have fallen away or they're deconstructing their faith. And this is something that he said. He said, how many preachers fall? Many. And no one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving, but it's not for me. That was his that was his quote and coming coming out and saying that he's no longer a Christian. He says I am not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just the I not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. So that's what he said. How would you respond? I, I'd like to work backward on that one because right <laughs> now, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people who have walked away from God, they say it's because of science. Science is the big. I'm dealing with a situation right now, and and boy, I mean, science is God down, not God. And uh, and so I raised the question. I said, I've I've never in my life seen science so utterly helpless and hopeless as right now during the coronavirus. Yeah. One day the scientists say this, the next day they say the opposite, then they say something else, then they say the opposite. Science has just shown its utter helplessness. And, and so I don't have any. I, I love science. I read physics, and, and one of my favorite areas of reading is quantum physics. And people get all, oh, wow. You know, quantum physics is not all that hard if you, if you can unbend your mind and actually see the the uh, the thing called uh, oh uh, when two particles have interacted and then they are forever connected and they could be opposite sides of the universe and you do something to one and it instantly affects the other. Are you talking about quantum entanglement? Yeah, it's yeah. entanglement and and it it completely kind of pushes aside relativity. Because it's actually a communication of some kind. It's not just faster than light. It is instantaneous. And it's, I, I better not tell it. I've got so many <laughs> stories of stuff that happened, uh, uh, dreams and, uh, and uh, just thoughts that I had at, out of a drunken state, you know, when a, a thought of something from the Bible would hit my head as I was thinking about some quantum effect. And, and one night I, I was in that state, and I said, well, that's how the rapture's going to take place. And my roommate, who was on the bunk above me, woke up and he said, what, what? <laughs> I, I said, oh, forget it. <laughs> I don't believe in that any, right but, now anyway. Yeah, but it was, it's funny, you know, your, your brain is holding on to two different worlds, even though uh, I've left that one. Uh, consciously, deliberately, but there's still that subconscious river of, of stuff that started when I was just a child, five mm-hmm. years old, and, and was still flowing. So uh, science, uh, and I love science, you know, uh, I guess because my grandfather was German, and um, in some ways, the way he spoke reminded me of Einstein. Uh, I like, you know, Einstein would, would had that 
German flavor to his speech. And uh, one of the quotes, and I looked it up, it's not exactly the way I learned it, but it's easier for me to remember it the way I learned it than the way it was written, which was no different. It's the same, same thought. And he said, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so this, to me, is, is what, says to, uh, what science is about. Uh, it, it's like well, a guy, he was one of the top uh, chemists in the world. In fact, there's two men who were really big in the chemist world that have, in chemistry world that have just uh, challenged me and inspired me. But this one said that people would ask him all the time, how do you reconcile your, your scientific life and career with your faith? He said, oh, that's easy. He said, I'm, I'm running an experiment, and I'm going as hard as I can. been struggling for months, and, and all of a sudden there's a breakthrough, and I see it, and I say, oh, that's how you did it, God. <laughs> and, and, you know, that to me is what science is. Science is discovering how God did it, and God wants us to. The, the, whole, the whole thing about science is, is that uh, book of nature, you know, that uh, the philosophers talked about the the Bible being a, a book of God. It's all about God, but nature is also a book of God. In Psalm 19, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And, and so this, this is the reality of science. And it's no accident that many of the greatest sciences, well, just take the granddad of all scientists, uh, Isaac Newton. He was a Christian. He was a believer, and he was looking for the hand of God in nature and made some of the most incredible discoveries because he felt like that nature revealed the orderliness of God, and it revealed that, uh, you know, this. I, I read this. I, I don't know any way of verifying it, but I read that all of the equations that define the universe can be written on one side of an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper that all the equations that define the universe. That's amazing that, that this this seemingly infinite, but it's not. It's bounded. It's not infinite. But that it could be put into mathematical equations. Why? You know, some, some guys have been led to say mathematics is the language of God because it describes his creation so perfectly. So I, the science side of it, I, it I, I hear proclamations from science all the time. And, and, you know, they're just so sure. But I can count on it. Six months later, they're going to discover something else, and it's going to, oh, sorry, that was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, so I don't worry about science. And, and I was blessed. My dad was a was Pentecostal preacher to the core, as conservative as they could be, and he was not a young earther. And, you know, and, and I was shocked. I was really shocked when my dad, he said, son, don't worry about the age of the universe. It's all the Bible accommodates it. Don't worry about it. And and so now that I'm older and I study, I found boy, I found a little just a little old reference in Proverbs to the primal clods of the earth. And nobody thinks much about that. But I said to somebody one time, I took a class. I said, I, I just love the fact that God made me out of the dust of the earth. That means I'm made with stardust. And they were like. What? What? Yeah. I said, "Oh, you didn't know? I mean, this the dust of the earth, those primal clods were were agglomerations of stardust, you know, from the universe." Well, that means the earth would just be more than 6,000 years old. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. <laughs> and so these these are things that uh they were never the issues to me. I love mm-hmm. science. I love to read science and I I even read uh Brian Green. Brian Brian, Brian Green it's the big big guru for uh, string theory. Yeah. And I just do not believe in string theory at all, but I've read two of his books. I like the way he writes, and, and they do push my brain to really think. So uh, I'm not limiting what I read in science just because I like or don't like it. I want to know what they say and whether it makes sense or not. So uh, – it was in one of his books. I heard this expression, the fabric of space. And the moment that I read that, I went to my Bible because it says that God will tear mm. 
the fabric. He will mm-hmm. rip. Man, it, you know, while whatever anybody else is feeling, I'm feeling all. Yeah. I'm feeling, you know, God is the one who put it together, and he can certainly take it apart. Yeah. <laughs> so that part of it is, is science is not going to— uh, bother me when it comes to dealing with atheism. Let me ask. Let me ask a question real quick. Is that because um, I, I want again? I want to bring up the the point of pain for for believers. And he had brought up the idea of of hell and the fear of hell, and that is something that has caused a lot of pain in evangelicals and people who have deconstructed their faith. Is that they lived with this burden and they lived with the um, manipulation of hell being held over their head that if they didn't live their life perfectly right, that they were going to burn for eternity in in the pit fire, hell and brimstone and smell of sulfur, gnashing of teeth. And, you know, I mean, listen, I grew up in it too, right? So how would you address people who are dealing with the, the, the PTSD from the fear of hell? Well, you know, I've, I've had the same thing. You know, I grew up in that. I grew uh, any time that my dad announced on Sunday morning that he was going to uh, preach on Revelation, I knew I was going to get saved again on Sunday night. <laughs> right. I mean, it just I knew it, and and sure enough, you know why? Because I was scared to out of my mind, man. I you know I didn't want to go through all that stuff, and so finally I just worked out where it wasn't an issue to me uh, as a kid. But I noticed something. I noticed that the people, my friends, who always got under conviction and went to the altar on the preaching of hell, it wouldn't last more than about two or three weeks, and they were right back where they were before. It never was. It never stuck. The preaching of hell did not stick. And it wasn't. You know, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws you to repentance. It wasn't the fear of hell. It was just the fear of it was the fear of living. I didn't want to live any longer, but I didn't want to die. And so it was in that time right there that I said, God, if you're real, <laughs> you know, and, and and boom. I remember right right here at uh, University of Texas at Arlington, I was filling out, I took twelve hours of nothing but philosophy. I had eighteen hours already from Rice University, and so I was adding twelve. That would be the equivalent of a second BA. My first BA was in languages, and so uh, I wanted to add philosophy. So I got the equivalent without actually getting the degree uh, because of a particularly uh, vengeful <laughs> professor who <laughs> who said one time, these Christian existentialists, they believe you just believe in God, and he reveals himself, and my hand shot up, and he looked. I said, yes, sir, that's what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> That That's was correct. It, it was over. <laughs> right. I, I got an F in that class, and that was because I had an A on everything. But that was the only thing I could trace back to, because he got so mad at, me, so disgusted with me. But uh, you know, the the uh, thing about hell is, is I, I got two people, uh, both of very. It's a strange combination. But C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers. I love his imagination. I, I love even his science fiction books. You know the uh, the books on what would it, what would life have been like if Adam hadn't sinned, and exploring that in terms of another planet. Yeah, hey, I, I like everything that he that he writes. And he said, for people who die and go to hell, it will just be an extension of what they've been living anyway. All right? Now that, you know, do with it what you want, but that really spoke to me. Jordan Peterson now, Jordan Peterson, who will not come right out and say, I believe in God, because he says, I don't know what you mean by believe, and I don't know what you mean by God, but I act as if there's a God. Bingo, hey, there's an, an existentialist right there. I mean, fully, that uh, you acting like it. That's, you're on a slippery slope. You're on your way, man. Just keep going that way. But uh, he said the same thing. He said, you've been living in hell because you, you won't believe the archetypes of the old, of the Bible, and, and so you won't order your life according to the Judeo-Christian values. And, and all these things, he sounds like he's a Christian, and he says that he he is a cultural Christian. 
not certainly not in beliefs. He doesn't believe in the resurrection, but he says he's working on it. So anyhow, the same thing that comes out of his mouth, you're living in hell. Your life on earth is hell. It hurts. You have, you have all of these uh, disasters and catastrophes, but you don't have anybody to help you through them. Well, that's what you're going to, the rest of your eternity is going to be. Uh, he's careful about how he says it, but it's basically that, that life after death will be an extension. If we've been, if, you know, I, I love my life, man. I love, the, the, I love living for God. I, I love it. I love going to uh, places in Africa, places in Southeast Asia. I love preaching to people who've never heard, and they're hearing they're hearing a good news message, and and it touches their hearts. It, I want to do that. I love doing that. And you know, well, what about the food? Oh, bring it on, man! <laughs> I love the food. I, it, it's it's been a, a an incredible experience. I, I mean, going all the way back uh, to before I was married and. and doing some missions work down in Honduras. Man, I could have just, if if the Lord would have let me, I would have just lived there the rest of my life, playing my accordion on the streets, drawing a crowd, sharing Jesus. You know, that's living, man. And and so if, if life is just an extension of the joy that I have had in living for God, uh, I, I can bring it on. You know, I can look forward to it. So, so right now... It's kind of like that. I don't think I don't think that the fear of hell has ever gotten anybody right with God. Yeah, the way that I, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell my kids was because they always ask me like, "Why don't you ever talk about this stuff?" I was like, "I'm not really interested in scaring the hell out of people. <laughs> I'm more interested in loving Jesus into them." Exactly. And so you know, we we try not to focus on on the negative because we want we want have something attractive to pe- pull people to. Oh no, Andrea, we did it again. We like to talk. We we went we, well I, when we have great guests. This is what it's, we do. Absolutely, it's what happens. So uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and we'll pause the conversation here. And if you would like to hear the next part of this conversation, all you got to do is subscribe. We'll be back again next week. Absolutely. Until then, this is Seth. This is Andrea. This is Dropping Sunday.